Let us pray. Precious Father, I want to thank you so very much for the privilege we have to gather tonight to study your word. We know your spirit is with us. We thank you for his presence as we trust him to teach to us and cause your word to have entrance into every hearer tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are looking at uh, the book of Galatians chapter 2. In chapter 2, Paul starts this chapter with taking us back to what we were saved from. The reason is for us to understand the magnitude of our salvation and appreciate the grace of God and also see that there is nothing, absolutely nothing, you and I could do to save ourselves from this kind of situation. You know, some people think it is like prodigal son. So they use prodigal son to teach salvation. Nothing can be further from the truth. It's not like prodigal son. <clears throat> the prodigal son was already a son. That's why we call him prodigal son. He was already in the family, and he backslid from the family. Salvation is not for those already in the family. Prodigal son was already in the family. He came back and asked the father to forgive him. And the father said, my son that was lost is back. This is not salvation. We were not in the family. We were not sons of God. So it's, 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 Paul took us back so we can understand the background of salvation. So we can appreciate it the more. So from here, we can see that it's more than what the prodigal son did. Because there's, there's freedom from forces that has us bound. Also from our sinful nature, which you can't behave yourself out of. You can't. It's not possible. So let's go to chapter 2, verse 1. Once we were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, not in Christ. We used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying, listen to the forces that have us, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in, in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Verse 3, all of us used to live like that, following the passionate desires, passionate desires, and the inclinations of our sinful nature. 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 By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone. So we had a, we had a sinful nature. We were under control of demonic spirit. So you could see that salvation is not what you can do anything about. It's like somebody in a wreck. You can't save yourself. So we're dead in sin, in trespasses. We lived in, in sin, not in Christ. We were slaves to sin because of our nature that held us bound, also under the control of demonic forces. So we can, one point can jump out right here now, that everybody is not a child of God. So you can't say, oh, well, you know, we are children of God. It's not true. This, people are, this kind of people we were, I described here, are not children of God. We were not children of God. By nature, we are children of wrath, not children of God. So everybody is not children of God. And this is what everybody does until now they come to Christ to be saved from it. 
and Christ will now make them sons of God. So this takes us to um, what we need to talk about the next one. In Acts chapter 16, verse 30. So this is how you become a, a child of God. This is how you escape this nature. Acts 16, 30. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's a simple thing. The Spirit of God put it there for us. Do you want to get somebody saved? This is what he needs to do. Don't add your own. What must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved and thy household. There is nothing else the Spirit of God wrote for the person to do. He has to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and he shall be saved. It's as simple as today. It's a Thursday. What must, must I do to be saved? And the Spirit of God gave us the answer for every member of the body of Christ to understand how salvation comes. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And your house, anybody in your house that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. In fact, in John 1, 12, it says, but as many as receive him, to them he gave the power to become sons of God. So if you have not received him, I'm sorry, but you're not the son of God. So we can't say, oh, everyone is a son of God. Well, we're created by God, but everybody is not the son of God. So as many as receive him, to them he gave power to become sons of God. Even them that believe in his name, the word believe, the word believe, the word believe, believe in him, believe in him. Believe in his name, which, when you believe now, which are born not of blood, you are not born anew, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So here is more details of salvation, what God did for us in Christ Jesus. Verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2. But God is so rich in mercy, so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much. Note these things. He loved us so much. Verse 5. That even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. Not going to give us life. He already accomplished all of that. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by grace that you have been saved. Verse 6. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ. All of them past tense. Not the day you come. Not the day you come. He raised, he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms. Because... We are united with Christ Jesus. As the translation said, because we are in Christ Jesus. We have not come into Christ. We were living in sin. So when we believed in Christ, he brought us into him. We are no more living in sin. Verse 7. So God can point to us in all future ages as example of the incredible wealth of his grace. Man, this is amazing. Incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Verse 8. God saved you by his grace. Grace is what you don't merit. You don't do anything to earn it. Saved you by your grace when you believe. The word believe keeps appearing. 
you believe in the Lord Jesus, you are saved. You believe in his name, you are saved. He said, when you believed, he saved you. Once you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved. When he believed, he saved when you be, he saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. You can't earn it. It takes nothing from a man to be saved because there's nothing a man can do to make God save him because God already saved him. All he needs to do is to come take it. So, and you can't, you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Brethren, it, it can't be clearer than this. Verse 9, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it and say, you know, you know what, the day I got saved, I did this. <laughs> the day I got saved, I had to do this, and I did this. Whatever you point to, you think you did at the point of salvation, makes it no more work of grace. It becomes something you merited, something you did something to earn. That is not the salvation of Christ. The salvation of Christ is given as a gift, as a work of grace. Now let's look at verses 4 and 5, and then verses 8 and 9. Verses 4 to 5, verses 8 and 9, they tell us that it is only by grace we were saved. It is all an act of God's love for us, as confirmed by John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that those who believe, the word believe is everywhere. Those who believe in him, that's all they need to do. That's all you need to do. Should not perish but have everlasting life. Unfortunately, people think it's not enough. So they have added what God didn't add. And that takes away salvation from people. If it's not a gift, it is not the salvation that comes by grace. And that's not what God did. And then we see in verse 5 to 6 that God, when did God provide these things? When did this? He did this while we were yet sinners. If he did it while we were yet sinners... I have a question. What do you have to do to make him do it again? Repent. Pray. What do you have to do to make him do it again? He has already done it. Why we were yet sinners. The package is already there. So what do you think, child of God, that you are telling somebody has to do to make God do it again? Or Tell me one thing you want to tell him to do so that God will give it to him as a condition. Is that, do you have any scripture for that? Salvation is one of the most misunderstood topics, which all the devil will see to it. Because he knows that if it's not by grace, it is not the real salvation from Christ. He knows that. So it is a package waiting to be received, waiting to be co- and collected by believing. Yeah, he did it for me. God said, okay, it's yours. Romans 6 says, we know. You know the, it says that he raised us up with Christ. He raised us up 
with Christ. Let, let me go back and read, and read that scripture again. Verse 6. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ. When Christ died, rose, the Bible says God raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with, with him in heavenly realm because we, we are now united with Christ. So let's, let's see Romans 6 that again explains this awesome work of God. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. See, we identify with Christ in his death. We are united with him. When you accept him, everything he did is, is yours. His death becomes your death. His resurrection becomes your resurrection. His life becomes your life. It's just as simple as that. It's just as simple as that. We know that our old sinful, old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no, remember, see the, see the tense. Our old sinful selves were not going to. It's not, waiting, it's not the day you come to Christ, he gets you crucified. Get it. We're done. Finished. Crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin by the death of Christ, not by effort. You know, I was talking on Sunday, Paul was trying to change himself. You know, he was struggling to think. He said, the things I want to do, I find I can't do them. I've tried to do this. Oh, who can save me? Oh, Richard. Yeah, that's what many Christians are doing. They are trying to change themselves. They are try- promising God they will be better. Oh, they promise God you know I'll be better. You can't be better. You're going to be worse because you don't know what you're talking about. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. That's how sin loses power in our lives. Paul said, the answer is now in Christ. He said, wow, I now find the answer is in Christ. He said, it's no longer I live it. I die daily. I don't make effort. I trust Christ from what he did for me I believe everything he did. I trust him daily for my life. I follow him for guidance. I have everything is Christ. To, to, live is, to, to die is going to live is Christ. Christ is my life. Everything is Jesus. Paul says I'm dead. Dead men don't try to change themselves. I'm, it's no longer I that live it. So if it's not him that living, he's not making effort to change, man. That's what it means. Because Christ already changed us. He already did that. But we have to believe that. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God that saves anybody that believes it. We are no longer slaves to sin, people. So a Christian can't be saying, you know what, oh, my problem is this or my problem. My people perish for lack of knowledge. For the truth we know will set us instantly free. I had a testimony of a brother who was struggling with pornography and things. And then he started to read the scripture and he saw the scripture. He said, oh my God, I've been set free from this thing. Do you know from his own testimony? Never did he even have desire for pornography. Because the, the new nature does not, does not watch pornography. Verse 7. 
For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Verse 7. Who has believed the report of God? We love religion. Those things that are waste of time. Instead of reading the Bible and simply believing, only believe you shall see the glory of God. No, it's not enough. Oh, no, 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 it's not enough. Where has he brought us? So Paul wrote in Ephesians verse 6, Ephesians 2 verse, For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, seated us with him in heavenly realm because we are united with Christ. We are free. We are seated with Christ. Where he is is where I am. I don't know where you are, but that's what I am. Verse 7, Ephesians 2, 7 says, God through, through us, oh, yeah, that's what he's saying. God through us will be preaching this gospel, be preaching what he did for generations, pointing to what he did through you and me. When the Bible says God is going to be doing this, we are his ambassadors here. We are the body of Christ here. God is walking through us. Let's read verse 7. Let's read verse 7. Verse 7 says, verse 7, that's where we're going. All the way back to verse 7. Verse 7 says, so God can point to us in all future ages as example of the incredible wealth of his grace. And kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God wants to talk about it. God wants to point to what he did for humanity, for you, for me, through Christ. He said, how will God point to that? You have been sent by God to go tell the world what he did for you. You have been sent to go preach the gospel and use yourself as an example. First, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself first through Jesus Christ and has given us now the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, but we go on imputing their trespasses to them. God says, I'm not doing that. I've canceled it in Christ Jesus. not imputing the purposes to them, and has committed to us now the word of reconciliation. Now, then, we are ambassadors for Christ, then, as though God were pleading through us. Verse 7 says, God wants to point at this thing in the ages to come, of the measurable worth of his grace. Pointing at this, you are to point at it to people, like John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God, Now we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. Pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Don't run away. Come. 
There is peace between you and God. It's packaged for you. Come and take it. Be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's just as simple as that. So verse 7, he says, very interesting. Very, very interesting, verse 7. So God can point to us in our future ages as an example of the incredible worth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. So if we are not preaching the gospel, we are not letting God point to the work of his grace. And if we are not preaching the gospel of grace, we are preaching strange stuff. God wants to point to what he did in Christ, to the work of his grace. That's what he says. He said, the wealth of his grace. I want to point to my grace, what I gave to humanity free of charge. And then number two way you can do that is that our lives need to be witnesses to that incredible wealth of grace that we have received. Our lives need to be evidence that salvation is true. And Paul used his life as evidence. In 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is Paul talking. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I am the worst of them all. So he's giving himself as an example. He said, see what grace has done him. I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners, then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor, all glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one, who never dies, who alone is God. And the church says, amen. That's what Paul is saying. God wants to point to, to me. God wants me to go there and be his witness in the world of of uh, disregard for God, in the world of skepticism about God, God wants us to stand up, not with even talking really most of the time. Because the, the, Peter, Peter, the book of Peter told us that you can win people without talking. He said, if they observe your chest conversation, if they observe your life. I remember some, some young men came to church. They were sitting there. The after service, they were meeting with my wife as newcomers and then her team. And they told them that the reason they came to this church, they followed, they followed the Kevin, Kevin A. Joffa. And Kevin didn't even know. They said, we've been watching this boy at our job. And his life just stood out. So we, we said, there must be somewhere he's learning something. We need to follow him. So they dressed up and followed him to church. That's what this scripture is saying. That's what Paul is saying. He said, look at my life as evidence of his incredible work of grace, that I was the worst sinner, but now I am what I am by the grace of God. So look at me. You don't have to look anywhere else. I'm an evidence. I'm a proof. I'm a witness for Jesus. Very powerful verse there that Paul put down for us. So in verse 10, we, we read verse, verse, verse 10 in that Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. We go, um, we go to verse 10 because we have talked about salvation is free, it's by grace in verse 10. 
in verse 10. So, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I told you that book of Ephesians is a book that teaches the Christian doctrine in details. If you want to understand Christianity, read the book of Ephesians. It is teaching us salvation in details. What happened? He said that, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can now do the good works he planned for us long ago. Our sinful nature won't let us do that. So when we came to Christ, he took off the sinful nature and gave us his own nature. He said, because of this empowerment and because of this new reality, God has now created us to be able to do what he planned. Not because of anything else. It's because of Christ in you. The life of Christ in you. The strength of Christ Christ in you. Colossians 2.11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. Remember what he told us? He said, but we're by nature, children of wrath. Now, when we come to Christ, the Bible says that Christ now cuts off that old nature. For you were buried with Christ. Remember what we read, Romans 6, that when Christ died, we died with him. We rose up with him and sin lost his power over our lives. It's either you believe the word of God or you don't believe the word of God. They can't mix it up. It says, let me read it again. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised. Not going to. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. The cutting away of your sinful nature. Twelve. For you were buried with Christ. See that thing about being buried and being resurrected with him? You were buried with Christ when you were baptized into him now. And with him you were raised to a new life. Because you've trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. That's how we got a new nature. And it's called being born again. Jesus said, if you are not born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. You can't enter with that old nature, that sinful nature. It doesn't matter how good you are. You can't enter. Yes, nature is. All it draws is the wrath of God. You can't come here. So you must have this new nature of God that God is giving. And it comes only by faith in Christ. John 3, 5. Jesus answered, verily, verily, I saw unto thee, except a man be born of water and, the, and spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That's the one we have in the labor room. And that which is born of spirit is spirit. That's the one we have when we come to Christ. Born of God. Receiving the life of Christ. Receiving the spirit of Christ. Instead of the spirit of that walketh the children of disobedience, you now receive the spirit of Christ that walketh the children of obedience. That walketh in children of obedience. So now you can do what God wants you to do. But now, if you're ignorant of these truths, if you've been blinded from them, guess what? You are going to be employing your energy, your will, and trying to live a mere religious life which takes any, nobody anywhere. And I dare say, it also affects every other thing we do. I'm telling you, 
every other thing, our prayer, our faith, every other thing. Because Christ is the sure foundation. If you don't learn this, you'll be laying your foundation on whatever. 2 Corinthians 2, 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You didn't do anything to make it happen. Nothing. And all of this is a gift from God. All of it. Who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to himself. Now let's go to verses 11 to 12. Paul begins to remind us of again what hopeless situation we were. So we understand the mercy of God and the grace of God. So we do understand where we came from. 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision. Even though, even though that their circumcision will give them salvation. Even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Verse 12. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You didn't have Jesus. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. A hopeless life without God. Paul is reminding us where we came from. Why? So we can appreciate what God did. If you don't know, if you don't know what it cost somebody to help you, your level of appreciation will, be, will not be where it should be. If somebody gives you, you remember, I know somebody gave me a clock, this watch, and I had it in my office for a long time. Then the case was beautiful, so I carried the case. I was enjoying the case. I, when we came here, I brought it, kept it there. I never even touched it. So until one day, Chris Floret came to my office. So he said, Pastor, this clock, what do you want to do with it? I said, oh, somebody gave it to me. He said, can I have it? I said, Chris, a gift. He said, Pastor, do you know how much they sell it? I said, no. When he mentioned the amount, I shook. I, shook. I said, what? This is what I've had here. Oh, my God. I, I, I thanked the man, appreciated him. But I wish I could see him now. You see, my level of appreciation went higher. Because the value of this thing has been revealed to me. That's what Paul is so you are, when, you, when you value the love of God, you value the grace of God, you value the... Man, you have, your appreciation of God goes where it should be. But when you think this clock is worth $20, your level of appreciation is $20 appreciation. If we can understand, my brothers and sisters, if we can understand what God did for us, and see his love for us in, in the gift of salvation, if we can understand the grace of God. Ah, it will make us love God without effort. You will fall in love with God. You will fall in love with God. If we do not understand this gift, we will not love God. And we may not live the life of God. And 
it will affect our prayer and everything else. Because our prayer, everything comes along the same way of gift and grace and mercy like salvation. You must, you must be grounded in this thing. Page John 14. Hearing is love. Not that we love God. <laughs> this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not that we loved God, but he loved us. And he did something. He sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for all our iniquity we are committing against him. Against him. Against him. While we are yet sinners. Against him. So be coming to beg him to forgive you, waste of time, because he already had <laughs> mercy for you. That's why he sent his son to come and die for you while you are yet sinner. And the son came and said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Quit is shed for the remission of your sins. Once I shed it, your sins are remitted. It's a package waiting to be taken. If I shed this blood, your sins are remitted. Romans 5.8. But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You think the... the he think the benefit of that death, when he died, he, he didn't achieve anything. Why did he die? He died for our sins. When we understand this free gift, then we will understand the love of God. Not before that. No, no, no. Because the way you love God is to know his love. First John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. Case closed. If we, if we understand his love, we will love him. You know why Paul loved Jesus so much? Ah, oh, yeah. He said he loved me and died for me. Me, a sinner, the worst one. He said he, lo he, said he loved me. He said I'm prepared to die for him. He said, he said I'm ready to die for him. He said, he, he said, why breaking my heart? I'm ready to go to jail. Anything, if I'm craving to suffer for him. He fell in love with Jesus because he understood grace. You know why David loved God? David loved God to pieces because he saw how merciful God can be. And he was writing in Psalm 103 about how merciful God can be. He had a revelation of the mercy of God. So he fell in love with God. David loved God so much. He wrote God love letters. He, he, he desired to say, well, my soul panted for you. I just want to come and hang out with you. I did their pants for the water. I'm testing for you, God. I, I'm not coming for you to do anything. I'm just lo lovers, seek lovers. If you love somebody, you'll be on the phone. You don't know when three hours pass. If you don't love somebody, one minute you tell the person, I, I have to do something else. Love craves, craves fellowship. It does. We love him because he first loved us. Number two about this idea of understanding what Paul is talking about, where we came from, so that we know what God did for us. If you don't know what God did for you, you have a sense of entitlement. You think you're entitled to God blessing you, healing you, 
doing this. And in dealing with God, you go and add more things you think you do to entitle you to divine blessings. You can, you can add 40 days dry. You can add sleepless nights. You can, all those things are good if it's done in the right spirit. They're wonderful. I'm not condemning them. They're wonderful. But if we're doing them as payment, God won't accept it. Peter said to Simon, thy gift perish with you because you think you can buy the gift of God. Because we have not come to convince ourselves that God loves us enough to give us things free that Jesus paid for it. Isn't it a huge hindrance? Very simple thing. Jesus said, he that has ear to hear, let him hear. We read Bible, we preach from here, but many people don't have the inner ear to hear. The ear with the outer ear, the ear with the outer ear, but the inner ear is blocked. So look at this story in Luke chapter 7. This will illustrate it for us. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat with a certain immoral woman. This woman was immoral. Very immoral. Woman came, woman from the city had, he was eating there. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. You see, when you, what you, whatever you do for a loved one, you do the best. Even in the natural love, you do the best. You do, it, love motivates you to give your best. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my word. If you love me, it will motivate you to do what I want. Do you know that love will motivate you to want to please the one you love? I was watching something on television, on YouTube. So these are a couple, a couple, very beautiful couple, very young couple. So the woman brought two clothes. He said to the husband, which one will I wear for you? And the man didn't have any sense of fashion. <laughs> so the, the man couldn't choose. And she was so disappointed. Because she wanted to wear her best for him. He was dressing for him. Not for any other man anyway. That's what love does. He said, which one will I wear for you, honey? The, the man didn't have a good sense of fashion. So she was, because she wanted to give him the, her best. But the man couldn't help her choose one. If you are going to wear somebody you love, is you dress your best. Because you want to please that person. Somebody that loves you is coming, you dress well. That's what love does. Our relationship with God should be based purely on love. <laughs> love for him. That's what make us want to dress well for him. You know, dress well for your God. Dress well for Jesus. He's all we have, people. He is all we have. We, it, and do you have any other person in this world? He's all we have, people. It's all, he so loves us. He will follow us into water, into fire. He, he will never leave us. He won't forsake us. He is all we have. And he has all the power. So this immoral woman from that city heard that he was sitting there. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. In verse 38. Then she knelt behind him at his feet. Look at what love does. He knelt behind him at his feet, weeping, full of love for 
this man who is the only person that put value on her. Everybody talked her down. Everybody called her immoral. Every, this is the only person who gave her value. The only person that gave her value was Jesus. That told her God created you. And that's who for you. And forgive her sins. Others were condemning her. Jesus forgive her. She could not love Jesus enough. Because she saw the, the pit where she was. And the, and the love that was shown to her. So, she knelt down behind him at his feet. Weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. And she wiped them off with her hair. The glory of a woman is her hair. She wiped it with her. Then she kept kissing his feet. This is feet that matched that. that. Matched that. The Bible says love is as powerful as death. She kept getting his feet and putting perfume on them. 39, when the Pharisees, the religious people who were invited, who, were, who, who had invited him, saw this, he said to him, to himself, <laughs> I thought this man is a prophet. If this man were a prophet, he would have known what kind of woman is touching him. She says, you know, it's not, it's not worth even to enter. It's, it's, if not for Jesus, we two women together. We don't belong. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, this is the lesson we want to draw here. I have something to say to you. Can it be that Jesus has something to say to us? Say, go ahead, teacher. She replied. Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces of silver to the other. 42. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debt. Who do you suppose love him more than, more, more after that? Oh, Simon said, this is I suppose the one for whom he canceled larger debt. That's what Paul is pointing. Your debt was too much. What he canceled for us is, we were hopeless, we couldn't do anything. Jesus said, that's right. Jesus said, 44. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling. <laughs> there. Americans will say over there. When I entered your home, Simon, because you think you are so good, you think you, <laughs> you aren't my coming to your house. You think I came here because you are a religious teacher, <laughs> a religious whatever, too, because you think... You are in the class where I should come. This woman doesn't belong to our class. When I entered your house, Simon, you didn't offer me water to wash my feet. From what I dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. 
It is, I mean, you thought I came because you are somebody. Forty-six. You neglected the simple courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. He didn't even do, do the basic things. But she has anointed my feet with rare, rare perfume. I tell you, her sins that are many have been forgiven. So, she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Is it not playing out in our lives? We would think, you know, because I did this, and I think this is what I did, and because I did. We loved God later. We don't see what he did really. What did he do for me? <laughs> what did he do for me? After I wasn't bad, I wasn't so bad, Sha. If we forget his love, our faith in Christ will be affected. We will start doing things to impress God, to earn his love and his blessings because that is how we think we got saved. We will be trusting in our own human understanding because of faulty foundation. Until we learn to trust in Christ alone, we'll be bringing in what we think helps God answer our prayer, love us, but while we are yet sinners, he showed us his love in Christ Jesus. That has not changed, people. Faith works through love. Look at what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 11.3. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundation, faith in Christ, is, is, is tampered with and compromised, tell me what the righteous can That's a question. Now, Paul gives us five major privileges we have in Christ among others. Number one is peace with God. Number two, he's created, he created a new set of people with one identity in Christ of the same family of God and one father who is God. Number three, we can all come to God our father because Christ has done for what Christ has done for us. He mediated peace between God the father through his blood and mankind. Number four, we have his presence in us as individuals and among us as a corporate body of Christ. All of this only because of the mediation of our Lord Jesus Christ. I gave you four points here. Peace with God created a new set of people with new identity who are neither Jews or Gentiles in Christ Jesus, the same family of God, of one father who is God. Remember that this God being our father was one of the main things Jesus was teaching. He was teaching it all the time. And that was the reason they killed him. They say he called God his father. And he's making himself equal to God. So they killed him as a heretic. But when he, he, he came to his disciples, he said, I go to my father and to your father. He's still your father. It's a new family. Now, we can all come to God, our father, because of Christ, what he has done for us. He mediated peace between God and us. Nothing else brought that peace. Except the blood of Jesus. We have his presence in us as individuals and among us as a corporate body of Christ, the corporate body of church, of, the, of Christ the church. All of this is only because of the mediation, 
if our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read a little lengthy place and then I'm going to begin to break it down for us, trusting God that we'll finish this uh, <clears throat> today because uh, next week we're going to start living work conference. It's going to be interesting. I really want people to come and get the word that God will use to heal them. So let's start from verse 13. Living work conference will be great, I'm telling you. Verse 13. But now, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. That's what brought us near to God. Not anything you and I did. The blood of Christ. Don't underrate that. That's what mediated peace between you and God. That's why God Christ brought you back to the Father and said, I paid for his sins. And this God said, yeah, because that's the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. So in verse, now in verse 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his, when in his, there's a mixture here, let me see. Can you put it up for me? For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people in his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us, put, put um, the next one for me, 15. He did this by ending the system of the law. Do I have to preach again about the law is ended? Jesus himself ended it. And you're going to see why pretty soon. We are going to understand more about this law today by the grace of God. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. It's, been, it's ended. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating himself one new people from both groups. Two are not, who are neither Jews or Gentiles. The next verse. We are, going, we are going all the way to verse 21, to verse 22. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death. See, he was the one that reconciled us to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility, hostility towards each other was put to death. The next verse. He brought this good news to, of peace to you Gentiles who were far away. From him and peace to the Jews too who were near. Verse 18. Now all of us can come to the Father. <laughs> One family now. To the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. 19. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are now citizens along with all of God's holy people all over the world. You are members of God's family, 20. Together, we are his house, a place of his habitation, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We're going to talk. This verse 20 is very interesting. By the grace of God, we'll talk about it. Verse 21. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for Christ. For the Lord. For we are joined together in Christ. I'm joined to Christ. We are joined. We become a holy temple for the Lord. Verse 22. 
Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Let, let's, let's take this thing apart. This is interesting. Let's take it, take it apart. Now, let's go to verse 13 to 16. Give me 13 to 16 since, since my, <laughs> don't know what I did here. 13 to 16. Is that NLT you are giving me? Okay, fine. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Continue. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. 15. He did this by ending the system of the law with his, with his commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. 16. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. Let, let's talk about this one. <clears throat> First of all, he says to us that Christ mediated peace between all of our Jews and Gentiles by his blood. He said it before. He's repeating it again. So that nobody is in doubt as to how you and God were reconciled. 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and one mediator. You are not one. I am not. Your prayer is not. There's nothing you do that is included here. Child of God, understand this. There's only one mediator. It's not your pastor. It's not your bishop. It's not your prophet. It's not anybody else. It's not a human being. It's Christ the man. Man God. One mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom. For all to be testified in due time. He talks about testifying, it, talking about it. So Christ is the one who paid the price for you to be brought to God. Nothing else. It's not your fasting. It's not your prayer. It's not your repentance. It's not your ruling on the floor. It's, it's not, nothing else. He paid the ransom with his blood. Get it. Receive it. Enjoy it. It is freely given. Romans 5 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God now because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. That's why I have peace with God. That's why you have peace with God. It's because of what Jesus did, not because of what I did or what you did. If anybody wants you to do something, that thing can bring you peace with God. Can we learn these things? And be on sure foundation. Christ Jesus himself. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. Where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Confidently, joyfully because of his grace he brought us here. So verse, verse 18 says, verse 18, verse 18 says, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So verse 18 says, all we need to do is to come and, and take what God has prepared for us. We can come to the Father because of what Jesus did. So you just come. Because of what he did, you can come. 
and take all the packages of what God has for you. All we do is come and take. Look at, look at Acts 26, 17. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, 18, to open, see what God sent Paul to do by preaching the gospel. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. They remember that we were under the bondage of the spirit that walketh in children of disobedience. Paul said by through this gospel is to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. From power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness. Because it's already packaged for them. Receive forgiveness of sins. And inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in Christ. Faith in Christ brings you all this. Faith in Christ like the pipe through which the benefits of grace flows to you. The faith is not the grace. But it is through the, it is through the pipe of faith that it flows to you. If you don't have the pipe, it won't flow. And the foundation that have that, that pipe is Christ. The Bible says that he's the author and finisher of our faith. It's Christ. And another meaning of this is that we can ask, it's a sad family, right? Anytime you can go to God boldly, you don't have to ask pastor to go for you. You can go yourself. Anybody can go at any time. You can go freely because we are members of the family. Now, verse 15. Let's go to verse 15. Verse 15. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Keep it there. Don't move it. Now, listen. Jesus had to end that system of the law. Because you know that system of the law created the enemy to you. The law was given to the Jews, and they were not supposed to eat with us, according to the law. They were not even supposed to marry us, according to the law. It was given to the Jews only. It wasn't given to the Gentiles. Remember Peter said to Cornelius, you know how the law forbids us from visiting you and eating with you. So, for the Gentiles to come and enjoy the benefit of God, the law has to be set aside. If you are still operating it, you will deny the Gentiles the blessings of God. So when Jesus came, he ended that system of the law. Because in that system, the Jews were not supposed to eat with us, not to talk of talking with us. So he ended it and brought a new system. And in this new system, he created us new. If you come to Christ, you become a new creature. And your identity is not from your physical lineage. It's, it's, this born again is not that born of the flesh. Like you are born of the flesh, you are a Jew, you are a Gentile. No, you are born of God. You have a different parentage. You have a different identity in Christ. You have a different family, the family of God. So every Jew who comes to Christ is born again. Father God is his father. 
He has a new nature. The old one is gone. And the Gentile who comes to Christ is born again. They have a new nature. They have the same father. They are now in the same family. They are now in the body of Christ. So he created a new body of believers whose identity is in Christ only. And because of that identity in Christ, all the promise of God is, belongs to them. Because the promise of blessing was to Abraham and his seed. So now this promise comes through his, through his seed, who is Christ, so that anybody who believes in him receives the blessings of, that God promised Abraham. So that's why he says he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating himself one new people. One new people from the two groups. So if a Jew comes to Christ, he's born again. His identity is now in Christ. He has created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He's a new creature. All things are passed away. His Jewness away. He's a whatever away. He's a new person. He joined to Christ. And then a Gentile comes and God takes him and creates him to a new person. With the same life of Christ in him. Created in the same, to have the same life of God. And he too is joined to Christ. So both the Jew and Gentile, one new people are being created in Christ. Whose identity is found in Christ. And they are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That's what this verse is telling us. Ephesians 4.24 Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So when you come to Christ, you have created a new person. A Jew comes, a Gentile comes, we lose this Jew thing, Gentile thing, doesn't exist anymore because we are new creatures. The one that used to be a Gentile is dead. The one that used to be a Jew is dead. He was crucified on the cross. The person that rose with Christ has been created new. And Christ is his life. And he joined to Christ. This joined to Christ. They are being built up in Christ as one body. And Christ is in them, holding them together. And God is their father now. In verse 18 to 21, it describes us all as now children of God in Christ. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us now. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers. We are no longer, longer strangers. And we are no longer foreigners. We are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family because God is now our Father and will have his life in us. Verse 20, together now, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ himself. Don't move that verse 20. Don't move it at all. Keep it there. So he says, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ himself. Now listen to this. This is interesting. Paul is saying that all we that came to Christ and this this new reality is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. What's the foundation of the apostles and prophets? It is the writing of the prophets and the apostles that the Holy Spirit gave them. He said, the holy men of old wrote this thing and the Spirit of God revealed it to them. It is their ministry. And that ministry is 
is supposed to witness to what Christ, God is doing in Christ for us. So he says, it's the, like the word of God, but Christ is the cornerstone. So what they are writing was, it's about Christ. They didn't write of anything else about, except Jesus. Jesus was the focus. And they were presenting Christ as the cornerstone that holds our life. The building that Christ, God is building, where God is going to live, Jesus is the cornerstone holding it. If you remove Christ, it crumbles. So their ministry built on the foundation. The foundation they laid is the word of God, which is Christ himself. The cornerstone is Christ. So all they are, let me show you an example in scripture. Philip, John 1, John, John 1, 45. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him whom Moses in the Lord and also the prophet's root, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God. Laid on the foundation of the, uh, uh, foundation of, uh, no, 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 he removed it. Foundation of the, um, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So we have found the cornerstone, the person they wrote about. Their ministry was focused on him, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So we are built on that, on that truth that God revealed to them that this is true. And I'm going to explain it further. Now, now one major purpose of the law, which we never mentioned at all. I want everybody to listen to me. We never mentioned it at all, but we mentioned it right now, is that the writings of the prophets was supposed to bear witness to the work that God did in Christ for mankind. It was supposed to be a witness to say, God revealed this thing to the prophets, and this thing you are seeing is true. The law is not just about commandments only. That's why we missed it. We think that when we talk of the law, we think it's only about, no, no, no. The law is the writings of Moses and the prophets. It's called the law. So it wasn't just about commandments. No. Remember, he said, we have found him whom Moses in the law. And all prophets wrote. So the writings of the law is not just commandments. It included the promises of God that was manifested and fulfilled in Christ. We used to think that once, once you talk of the law, everybody thinks of the law. No. It goes beyond that. It's a witness to what God will do in Christ. So that when we preach it, we can point to scripture and say it, is, it was written in Isaiah. It was written in here. It was written here. And Jesus will say, how do you read the scripture? What did you say about, what did you say about it? So when Jesus came, listen to this church. When Jesus came, all that the Lord wrote about him was fulfilled now. Once it was fulfilled, the law was no more necessary. Because the Holy Spirit has come to reveal Christ to people. The law was shut down. Don't need it. His job has been done. The purpose is to witness to Christ. And when Christ comes, his reality, the shadow is no more needed. Let me show you scripture. Romans 10, 4. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which law was given. The law was given so that we in it, we see what God will do in Christ. So when Christ came and fulfilled it, he fulfilled the purpose for which the law was given. The law was given to witness to what Christ would do. To be a witness. 
So you can read it. And know that this is what God revealed to the prophets about him. Look at Luke 24, 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled. Listen to this. All things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. They are now being fulfilled. What the law wrote. The law is a witness that what you are seeing is from God. So when, the John, when the John the Baptist came and said, are you here that comet? Are we looking for another? He referred him to the writing of the prophets. He said, this is what Isaiah wrote. The lame are walking. The sick have been healed. He quoted Isaiah as a witness that this is from God. Let me read it again. Let me read it again. Luke 24. 44, and he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses. So it's not just laws, laws. No, no. There are things written in the laws of Moses, written by the prophets about Christ. He said, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written now, Thus it is behold Christ to suffer now. The prophets wrote it, and to rise from the dead on the third day. Look at Romans 3.21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest. Look, this is interesting. The righteousness of God without the law, that is not from the law, is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The writings of the, of the prophets in the law is a witness about the righteousness that Christ will bring to us, which is not from obeying the law, but it's coming by faith in Christ. He said the law stands as a witness. It is written there. So the purpose of the law is to witness to what God will do in Christ. So look at it again. Let me read it. Romans 3, 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. It's now being manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith in, of Jesus Christ, unto all upon them and all them that believe, therefore there is no difference. He said, this righteousness that is being given now to those who believe in Christ, with the law, and the writings of the prophets bears witness that this is of God. God revealed it to them by his spirit. It stands as a shining witness that this is not made up. Mark, look at this. Now Jesus says something in Matthew 5.17. People misunderstand this scripture. Or they say, no, because Jesus said that I came to fulfill the law. No, no, listen. Matthew 5.17. Think not that I'm come to destroy the law. Or the prophets. No, I come, I come not to destroy, but to fulfill it. I came to fulfill what they wrote about me. Everything written about me will be fulfilled. I have come to fulfill all those things written about me in the law. I didn't come to destroy because it, it didn't just give laws to obey. It gave you a revelation of what God will do. And I've come to 
fulfill it. I'm the one that, that they were writing about. You remember Jesus said, he says, you read, the, you read the scripture, you think it will give you life. But all of them are pointed to me. He said, this, the laws wrote about, when it means the law, it's not talking about obeying the laws. It's talking about the writings of the Moses and the prophets about him. So he said, he said, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one letter shall in no wise pass from this law. The law be fulfilled. He said, you can't change it. It will be written. What is written is written. I have come to fulfill it. It is in me that all that writing culminates. Then he said in verse 19, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, now he's talking about commandments, and shall teach men to do so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Yes, he said the law is holy. It was, he has commandments sight, which you should obey. And Paul wrote it, he said the law is holy. There's nothing wrong with the law. The, what is wrong is we, our flesh. Because God can't give you what is unholy. He said, yeah, God gave it to be obeyed. But alongside that law are also writings about me. Verse 20. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness, shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, which comes from the law, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. I've come to give you the righteousness of God. Except you are born again and have a new life, I have this righteousness I give. You are not going to help. Yeah, you should obey the law, but it won't give you righteousness. The prophets wrote it. Let me go back and close with it. Romans 3, 21. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, not the one that... Paul said, I don't want to be seen, I want to be seen in him, not having my own righteousness anymore. I don't want that. I don't want that. Because he found out that the righteousness of Christ is what the law, the Moses and the prophets wrote about. He said, concerning the law, perfect. But I don't want it anymore because it won't bring me to Christ. It won't bring me to the kingdom of God. No. No, I accept, I come to Christ, I won't enter the kingdom of heaven. So in Romans 3, 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ upon all, and upon all them that believe, for there's no difference. I know that by the Spirit of God we'll understand this. Let us pray. Father, we just want to thank you, give you praise for this Ephesians chapter 2, you've taken us through it. Beautiful, wonderful. Very great exposition, very great truths. But you say to us, he that has ear to hear, let him hear. Which means not everybody has the ear to hear you. Everybody has the natural ear, but not everybody has the spirit ear to hear you. But I know by your power and by your intervention, you will cause people to hear you. Blessed be thy name. In Jesus' name we pray.